Hey everyone, welcome to a new podcast segment here at Master Athletic Performance. I'm going to call these ones the Map Minutes. Uh, in these segments, we're going to be focusing more so on the people that we serve and sharing stories about fitness and health from the people that we actually want to help. Uh, and today is a very special episode for me. I get to interview my mom, Susan O'Need. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Paul, son. Um, you know, I got the pleasure to interview my wife on our first episode and that was very interesting, but this is a a bit different because coming from where I'm sitting, you are the person who introduced me to fitness. Some of my earliest memories of fitness, health, strength training come from just accompanying you at the Y, whether it be for an aerobics class, whether you were teaching one or taking one going to work at the Y and just dropping me off at the basketball court to play. Um, And I wanted to maybe start off the podcast with where did fitness start for you? I figured that was going to be the first thing you asked. Um, Similar to the story that you shared, I believe with your clients, coaches, um, I grew up in a family of four girls Mm-hmm. of which I was the largest by quite a bit, bone structure-wise anyway. So um, growing up was kind of not, I'm not going to say tough, but my siblings were considerably smaller. So there were no hand-me-downs for me. Mm-hmm. I was often trying to fit in other people's clothes. And that was, as I grew and developed, um, I would do all the stuff that my sisters did. And I just kind of got not, I'm not going to say bigger, but I was a bigger person. So the impetus for me, as I got into teenage years, I got a little chubby and um, certainly overweight compared to uh, my siblings. Mm-hmm. And I started in, I think I was 17 or 18 uh, to do what most teenage girls is and starve themselves uh, because I was wanted to have that ideal um, it didn't really work out very well for me because I am my body doesn't like to be thin. And um, I started babysitting for a woman just down the street. And we lived in the country. So down the street was about three quarters of a mile away. <laughs> and she was amazing. Her name was Mary. Her, her name is Mary Broadhead. Um, and she would run and she'd run around the block, which is eight, uh, eight kilometers. So five right. miles. So I asked her one day, um, how do you do it? And she said, well, you have to get running shoes. And I went, I did get running shoes. My brother-in-law brought me to the Canex. We got some Adidas Lady Boston, which don't exist anymore. There were no running shoes for women really back then. And I ran to the corner and back, which was a mile and a half. And then I had so much fun that I did it again in the afternoon. And I think it was the freedom of just moving my body in space and Mm -hmm. feeling not cumbersome and not like um, an elephant, just feeling graceful. Um, And I think you can appreciate back in the day, there weren't a lot of options for women in sport. We didn't get offered to play a lot of team things. Right. Uh, Yeah. I didn't like, there was no weight training, which would have been ideal. I think if I could have had that back then, but then again, you weren't supposed to have any muscle either. You were just supposed to be bones and skin. That was, that was what we were supposed to look like. And I mean, your story, like a lot of people that I speak to, especially when it comes to clients, they have this, almost this conception that like their story is somewhat unique 
And no. you never want you never want to poo-poo someone's feelings or, or invalidate them in any way. But what you're saying and that your introduction to fitness was we'll just generalize and say with the with the desire to lose weight. Absolutely. And I'm sitting here as your son, you know, 23 years your junior, and saying, like, yeah, when I first started working out, it was it was to get better at basketball per se, but I wanted to lose weight. I was, you know, an overweight child. I wanted to lose weight. And a lot of the people that I speak to, their introduction to weight training or fitness in general is I want to lose weight or I want to improve the way I look. And some people will say, oh, you know, that's silly. You want to focus on, you know, your performance and what your body can do. And that's all well and good. But I really want to like not preach, but just affirm the fact that it's okay to want to look better right? It, it's not, it's not a lack of self-love. It's not a lack, uh, it's not a desire, like a hating yourself feeling. It can just be, yeah, I want to improve myself and I would like to look a certain way. And the people that look a certain way that I look up to do these things and I'm going to do them too, which seems to be uh, what you partook in with Mrs. Broadhead. Kind of, but the, the funniest thing is that I could never have looked like Mrs. Broadhead. She's probably four foot 11 and weighs 90 pounds soaking wet. So I would see her striding along um, uh, County Road 8 mm -hmm. and she looked so beautiful in like she was moving in space and it just seemed to be like a ballet. And I thought, wow, like I could probably do that. Let's see if I could do that. And I think the biggest key was doing it and thinking, this is kind of nice. Like it feels really nice in my head, in my body, all of it. So that, that to me is the, the start, but I'll go back to what you said about wanting to look better and feel better. I honestly didn't think I looked bad, but everybody else told me I did. You know, oh, she's got such a pretty face. Um, oh, you should tuck your bum under so your bum doesn't stick out so much. Like all these things back in the day were not attractive. You weren't supposed to have muscle mass. People would say, oh, look at look at your arms. You're just like a man. And now women are allowed to be strong and supposed to be powerful. I, I wish I'd been born now. It's encouraged. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Like to... Yeah. to be a girl growing up today with the options that are available to women in sport is I am so grateful for that. For me, yeah. for me as a like, I had to find my own, find my own path all the way. There was nothing like I grew up in the country too. So, I mean, there's, that was a limiting factor as well. Yeah. But I mean, for individuals like yourself, you are the, you're the women who kind of paved the way for the current generation of active women like without you guys doing what you did and experimenting and exploring health and fitness there wouldn't be what there is today and whether yeah. you want to consider yourself to be you know a, a quote-unquote I was called a pioneer the other day which made me feel really old but <laughs> were you on your horse and buggy again I hate it I when was. you bring that I know I just starving in the middle of the midwest um but yeah you're you're like you are a, a trailblazer in fitness and that kind of carried forward into your first career, right? Like you're working oh, absolutely. MCA. So you went to school for biochemistry, nutrition, graduated. Um, during that time, I was born. And then you started working at the YMCA, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I started, um, I was 
pregnant with you and was taking prenatal uh, fitness aer aerobics classes because I was um, running along the street one day, very pregnant with you. And somebody stopped their car and said, uh, told me basically that I was a horrible human being for hurting my child by running. And I was so shocked that I thought, okay, I can't be seen running. So I went to, I got, I found a flyer. It was put in front of the condo door and it was for programs at the Y and they had prenatal fitness. So I thought, okay, this is an acceptable form of fitness. Right. So I went to the Y and started taking the prenatal fitness classes. And the instructor, Karen Larson said um, that, you know, have you ever thought of teaching? And I thought, well, no, like, don't you have to be a dancer? And she, no, 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 this is how you, this, you're, you're going to be fine anyway. And that was sort of the, the start of it all. Uh, she got me into the Y class, the Y actually paid for my certification because we didn't have a lot back then. Mm -hmm. And they gave me places to teach throughout the community. And I'd just take you in a backpack and we'd go to fitness classes. I often did the whole class with you on my back. So it was like kind of like actual backpack, just to clarify. <laughs> like you know the, the baby yeah, holder i know i just yeah. imagine this baby in like a, a book bag yeah well you know you were you were too big to put in a book bag so i <sighs> and you yes, loved it yes. oh yeah for sure i'm sure um and so from there you started getting into management side of things and kind of climbed the ladder with the ymca uh all the while what was your like evolution of fitness during that time i know teaching aerobics, running was still big with you. Did you start weight right. training at that time or? Well, in the classes, um, we had weights, although I don't know if we'd call them weights. I think the biggest weight was eight pounds. So it was more, they would call it sculpting. So you do, um, you do like a few minutes of um, like high intensity aerobics, then you'd stop and do some sculpting. So interval classes like that. Mm -hmm. push-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, and all those things were always part of my routine from day one. Right. Um, the, yeah, weights, the heavier weights didn't come until probably 93, 94, when I started working at the Colonnade Road Y, which was a predominantly a bodybuilding gym. Mm -hmm. And I actually got a, a coach. I loved it. I just, it was so, it was really, really uh, freeing for me, obviously still running and doing the other stuff, but that was just another additive. So 93, I don't know how many years ago, 40 years ago, no, 30 years ago. Easy, easy, easy. I was six. So it was 30 years ago. All right. I was 30 um, years. So I've only been weight training for 30 years. I've been running for almost 43. And I think, I think there's something to tease out of that too. So weight training what for quote unquote weight training for women was low weights, high reps, sculpting. Yeah. So you would actually like, you know, like lateral raises while you were doing jumping jacks, but you'd be holding weights. So it's momentum. Right. It, it was highly like for most of the women in the class, they didn't have the skill set to actually stop the weight. So it was a giant flinging competition. It was, I don't know who invented it. It was horrific. Well, I'm um, sure I'm, I'm sure the reason I point that out is because I'm sure like a lot of the people that are listening to this are coaches and are more so we'll call it academically inclined and right. hear that as being touted as the pinnacle of fitness or something that is advocated as healthy or beneficial for anyone, women, men, whatever, uh, now seems to be almost laughable, but mm -hmm. 
and, and knowing me, knowing your evolution of fitness, you look back and say like, what was I doing? Listen, you do lateral raises for five minutes with eight pound dumbbells. You <laughs> think you're getting stronger too. Your arms feel like they're going to fall off. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And, and so then you're introduced to more high intensity weight training, uh, intensity, like load, um, more bodybuilding focused yeah. and knowing you, I, I know that you might've enjoyed it, but it probably wasn't something that you were like, I'm going to do this forever. No, because it wasn't moving in space fast enough. I really like, I enjoy that feeling of like your heart is beating so fast and mm. you're able to sustain it. Like this morning, for example, I made a deal with myself. I timed exactly where Mike would be on his bus at mm-hmm. 726. I left the house 27 seconds later than I did last week. And I still beat his bus at 5.42 kilometers. I beat his bus. If anyone is wondering why I am the way that I am, that is why I am the way that I am. <laughs> um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rush. It is a rush. And it's, it you know, when we think about the things that are going to make us better, progressive overload. So yeah. Your progressive overload was a 27 second progressive overload this morning. And, yeah. you know, that's a very particular number. Uh, well, it's per kilometer, right? I took off so many seconds per kilometer that I knew I was challenged with. Right. So yeah. that, that mentality, I think, is something that people can learn from. Like, always be challenging yourself. And and just to put that into perspective, you're years old and... 60. Prob- <laughs> yeah, I'm, prob- I'm okay with it. Yeah, and you're not... Like, these aren't personal record numbers oh my god they're horrible they're horrible numbers but they're still better than you did yesterday or better than you did last week right right and it's all being able to say that maybe it didn't hurt as much it's not ever going to be a pain free Uh, Mm -hmm. my body is is old like not old it's been used in sport for a long time you've got mileage on your body Right. But I've never been seriously, I've never ever had a surgery. I've, I've had a pulled muscle here and there, but I've never been like really, really debilitated. I'm very lucky. Okay. So let's, let's pose the question. I have a lot of clients who will come to me and I have many over the years where they're in pain. And the first instance is I need to rest or I need to take time off. I've never had that personal inclination. My my personal inclination is, well, if I can't do X, let me do Y or Z. Sure. Has that mentality always been there for you? And like you're speaking about, you know, I, I love running, but it causes me some pain. So I do it in a way that maybe doesn't cause me as pain, as much pain. Where did that come from? That mentality? Gosh, I don't know. Like, I've, I mean, maybe from school, I always in up to grade eight, I was really kind of a, not a terrible student, but you know, a BC student. I, I struggled with the way the academic system taught us how to, how to learn mm-hmm. Um, in grade nine. No, in grade eight, we had this aptitude test where you had to put stuff together, like a spatial thing. Mm-hmm. I failed it all. They had my parents come in and they said that I should go to vocational school. Um, and my dad just about killed the teacher. And so in grade nine, 
uh, he worked with me with cue cards and we, we kind of figured out how I learned. And I think it was the process of working with my dad on how I learned. And I mean, I think my average in grade nine was 72 in grade 10 uh, was 80 something grade nine, uh, grade 11 was 90 grade 13. I had a 98 average. Like it, it's, it's learning to put tools in place for you to be successful. And I feel like those, those victories that are earned like that are so sweet. Like they just mean so much more. I think that's something that a lot of, that is lost in a lot of people is that level of self-ownership and accountability that, you know, has undertoned our entire conversation so far as that you've been in control of your own fitness journey every step of the way, mm-hmm. whether it's drawing parallels from life to fitness or vice versa, you've been able to thrive in whatever area of your life you've decided to push and the qualities that you've employed have been almost the exact same. Well, I think you say often how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you do say that. So, I mean, it's that's not to say I haven't made stupid judgments along the way. Like, um, I mean, the doctor said to me after you were born, you probably shouldn't run for six weeks. So day 10, there I am with you in the stroller running along Riverside Drive. And I get back and I think, that was not a smart thing to do. Like you do, you make dumb decisions because you want to keep going and want to keep moving, but then you get a reality check. Yeah. But I would much rather have that almost like that switch to flip off rather than teaching someone to flip that switch on. Yeah. I think some people though, if they haven't had any hardship in their life and I'm not talking about the great famine or some kind of, you know, pestilence, I mean, just, we all have our levels of what we can handle. And some people wake up in the morning and say, oh, the sun isn't shining. It's going to be a really dull day. And other people wake up and go, oh, the sun's not shining. Oh, it'll be a little bit cooler for running. Maybe I'll get a faster time today. Like it's completely different. I like that that analogy because like, you know, some people, oh, the light's not shining. I'm going to turn a light on rather than, oh, the light's not shining. I'm going back to bed. Right. And in life, like looking at the, we'll use the word hardship and that that can be relative for sure. Yeah, it's totally relative. Some people run into hardships and their immediate uh, switch is to continue to look for negatives or accept the circumstance. I use the term being a victim of circumstance. And when you adopt that victim mentality, you are at the mercy of the world around you. Whereas if you flip that switch towards opportunity and you say, yeah, it's not very sunny outside. It's going to be a little bit cooler. I'm not going to be as hot. Maybe I'll set a personal record because of that. There's a switch that gets flipped and that you take control of the process, which means you get to enjoy the victory. And you mentioned like that victory when it's earned feels so good. I like, think it's the way you're raised, though. I honestly think if you're told as a child oh, you, you, that you didn't, you're not good. Like, that's not good. Like, you should have tried better. Like, why did you do it that way? You know, move the milk away from the side of the counter. You're going to knock it off rather than if you knock the milk off and you have to pick it up. The next time you're not going to be so apt to put the milk on the side of the the 
counter. You're going to you're going to think about it a little differently. You have to make mistakes to get better. You have to screw up. And I think if you're told, did you try your best? Yeah, I tried my best. Well, maybe your outcome was a D. Well, maybe next time you try your best and your outcome's a C minus. Like well, even then, like, I'm going to draw, I'm going to draw a parallel to my own childhood, being that you're my mom. I was always granted the opportunity to make my own mistakes. And you always taught me that number one, did you try your best? Absolutely. I can tell you from my own honest opinion, there's a lot of times where you said, did you try your best? And my answer was no. Yeah. And you, you were, you were quick to point it out. It's like, okay, well then you know exactly what you have to do. Or did you try your best? Yes. Cool. Where your best wasn't good enough. Can you figure out a different way to do it? And that to me, like growing up was the best example that I could have had because I look at all the things that I've done, even now being, you know, an an entrepreneur, self-employed, I've had, this is my fourth career. When we look at things, I'm 36 years old or I'll be 36 in a month. I've made a lot of mistakes. I put my full effort forth in, in everything I do, but I know for a fact that even if my full effort isn't good enough, there's still other ways to go about things. Right? There's different tools in my toolbox. And if I don't have those tools, I can go and learn them. Right. And I've learned that through fitness, right? I've learned that through, okay, you missed that PR squat. Let's try executing it a little bit differently next time. Or let's, let's try slowing it down. Let's try speeding it up. Let's try using a different grip. All of these parallels apply to life. And I've learned those through fitness. Yeah. You you transitioned from your career at the YMCA. Now you are a real estate broker. And if I'm not You've been up like 25 years now, haven't you? No, no, no. I'm in my 20th year. Oh, 2004. Okay. 2004. I continued to to teach until 2016. Okay. And your evolution of fitness has changed quite a bit in that time. You've yeah. gone from doing like more so circuit training classes, uh, which, which replaced aerobics to some extent. Uh, yeah. You've still continued to run. Running has been a staple. Uh, but now you're doing more so structured weight training and continuing to run. What's like, what's been that process for you mentally to go see the transition in what you're doing? I'm not sure it was so conscious. I I've always, I always get up in the morning and want to do something active. So before, when I was working at the Y, I usually taught a a. 7am fitness class. Right. Um, So we teach three or four times well, usually a day, but that was the start of the day and stick and run in there. So I, it was, it was a lot. Like, it's funny. I came to the realization this past winter that I am actually surprised I can still walk given the amount of activity. Cause I would, was training for a marathon in 1993 while teaching five classes a day and having a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Like, I don't, it's ridiculous, but that's the way, that's just the way my life was. Right. And it was super fun. So the transition from working at the Y, I would still go to the Y and teach my class. It was a great opportunity for me to continue to connect with the people who knew my work ethic and were excited about my transition into a new career. And they were my biggest advocates. I think I can trace back every single deal I do today to my fitness group at the Y 19, 20 years ago. They just, 
they, I think because they knew how I behaved, what my work ethic was at the Y, you don't, you can't take that away from somebody. It's just a different right. modality that they're working in, right? I think, so, in, I think inherently people know too, like we said, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if the, the approach that you take to your fitness is anywhere close to the approach that you take to your professional endeavors, that's someone I want to work with. And that's something that I try to do as well. Like you, you want to be a product of your product. And if my product is helping people achieve their goals, I damn well better be able to achieve my own. Yeah. Right. And showcasing the process along the way to show them what is actually possible. So when I hear, you know, oh, you know, I was training for a marathon, teaching five aerobics classes a day and, and having two young children, you found the time. You made oh, the there's always time. There's always time. I that is my probably one of my biggest peeves. There's the, oh, you're so lucky that you're fit. And I don't have I don't have time to do all that. I it really didn't take a long time. It took less than 45 minutes this morning to run up seven and a half K. Like, I mean. And I walked a little bit of it towards the end because I gasped myself trying to beat the bus. Um, you know, like it, it, it's 45 minutes, a little bit of stretching, shower, get ready, go. I mean, you can waste 45 minutes sc scrolling through Instagram and watching funny memes easily. Oh, don't even get me started on that. I mean, so. that's the, yeah. So I don't, I mean, have time. You don't have to wake up at five o'clock. I, I do because I'm a morning person. I wake up always kind of happy which is kind of disgusting for anybody around me because same interpretive dancing around the island making your coffee is not how everybody wants to stop start their day right i think both of our partners are like very much not morning people so we drive oh, we, yeah i was actually told this morning to could i just tone it down just a little bit and you reply back no 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 <laughs> it got worse um yeah in spite <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, really time. I don't, I think you'd make time. If someone said to me, um, I'd like you, I, I think you should be training two hours a day weight training. I, I would be miserable. That would not do it for me. I enjoy the weight training because I know it's very good for me and it's social. I, I work out in an environment where there's 10 racks, 20 people. We're all doing the same program or our own weights, right. um, but we're very much together. I'm not sure I could follow a program on my own in the gym by myself for any length of time. It's, it's not my choice. It wouldn't be my choice. Okay. So that kind of, that opens up a big can of worms for me with regards to fitness, because I feel like what's being preached in the mainstream right now is very much a rigid framework of what fitness and health should be. Right. One thing that I will always push back on is you have to enjoy every minute of what you're doing or else you will not be adherent to it. I remember vividly you and I having a number of conversations where you were genuinely worried about my participation in powerlifting because for all intents and purposes, I was hurting myself and it looked like it was detrimental to my health. Looking back, I remember my answer was very firm. I love this. Yeah. And that was almost the end of the conversation for us in that, in that aspect. And I said, you said, how long are you going to compete for until I stop loving it? Right. And guess what? Age 35, I kind of stopped loving it. So I stopped competing every step of the way. You found elements of fitness that you've enjoyed and you just continued to integrate those things into this 
we'll call it a robust lifestyle of health and fitness. You know, now you're, you're cycling in the summer. You know, you yeah. Bought, I love you, it. You bought a road bike. You have a Peloton at home um, for when it's raining or when he, when he can't get out and go for a long ride, you just hit the Peloton. Um, you're still weight training three, four times a week. You're still running a couple times a week. Uh, I know you've done yoga in the past. Like there's so yeah, many... I, I don't like it. Yeah, me neither. But there's so many elements of fitness as an umbrella that are unstructured and just for fun. Right. How would you advise somebody coming to you and saying, Susan, I really admire how much fitness you do, how much fun you look like you're having, and I want to start doing it. What would be your advice to that person? Wow, that's a good one. Um, probably to think about uh, the type of activity that they might enjoy. Do they like to dance? Do they like to move quickly? So maybe cycling. It's something that is, do they, are they okay with um, like pounding? Running is, is fair, is quite challenging to start as if, as you're older. Right. Um, but it's not unachievable. A lot of really great runners start in their late forties, early fifties, which is kind of nice. Cause then they still have 30 or 40 years of longevity on their, their bones and joints, mm -hmm. I guess, if they're, if they're built for it. Um just find something you love and start with a few minutes a day and build up slowly. It's not, not a race. It's doing, even doing little intervals, a 10 minute walk around the block, do that three times a day. There's your 30 minutes. I love that you said that. And like starting slowly is probably the thing that I preach the most to the people that I work with. It's like, if you're starting from zero, one minute is a progression. Yeah. So your progressions don't need to be all right, I'm going to train for a half marathon from doing nothing. You, you are setting yourself up for a failure, in my opinion. If you set yourself up for little wins along the way, and we could get into the research about little wins and you know self-efficacy and things like that, but the reality is if you see little wins along the way, you're going to be more adherent. And when you're more adherent, you feel more confident. And when you're more confident, you're more adherent. So it just is a self-fulfilling prophecy there. But when you are enjoying the process and when it actually doesn't feel like work, I feel like that's when it really unlocks health, longevity, fitness. They all become a singular thing. I think, think that's why like, there's so many different fads out there because each fad is going to attract everybody initially and those that it resonates with truly will be able to adhere to it. I mean, CrossFit when it first came out was like, it was like a cult, oh, and yeah. now it's and now there the people that that really enjoy that type of movement are into it and it's great. Like for them, it's their thing. The people that it wasn't their thing and it was horrible have gone to whatever the next fad is. I don't know what the next fad is now. I, is this still CrossFit? No, there's a very much like a. Well, okay, we'll we'll get into that. The this begs the question. So you've been in fitness almost 45 years. Let's talk about the fads. Let's talk about oh my like, god, leg warmers, headbands, thong bodysuits on top of uh leotards. Yeah. Yeah. Full cat suits working out. That's just the fashion. And then we get to there was the first there was like running around the gym. 
So aerobics with somebody playing the piano. My first fitness class that I took at the Y, oh there gosh. was somebody playing the piano and we ran around the gym and jumped around on the spot. It was really fun. And all the boys wore very short shorts with all their bits and pieces hanging out everywhere when you did leg. Um, yeah, it was not good. Uh, then there was the advent of the cassette. Well, they did records. Then people would do the records, swap them. And then cassettes where you made your own fitness music by being very remember quiet. you making your own fitness music. Yeah, tape to tape. Um, then where did it go from there? So then it was more choreographed stuff. And then in the 90s, I think it was 1990, uh, the steps came to the Y, the Reebok steps, and we were all given a, a tape. And I, I was the first one to have to teach. So it was like, here's the tape. And I'm like, well, what the heck do I do with this? Well, you just step on and off of this thing. And so we stepped on and off of it. And you just make it up as you go. And eventually, I parlayed that into something called duo step, which was two steps side by side or front and back. Um, which was super athletic and so fun. Then I did four steps, so front, side, and back. Uh, then spin bikes came in, but yeah. spin bikes, but they didn't tell you about the padded short thing. And it was an eight-hour workshop the first day. Um, it was not. Oh my god! It was. All, I actually was really happy to have had several maxi pads in my gym bag that day because I used them all. It was like I made my own padded shorts. It was miserable. I remember doing step classes with you. Yeah, they're really good workout. So I didn't love the cycling inside, sweating all over everything. Um, but it was it was okay. Mm -hmm. I never taught it, but I did lots of workshops on it. Mm -hmm. Oh, skip fitness was fun. I love that. So skipping ropes. Yep. So it was interval training with skipping ropes. Love that. Um, but, well, the sculpting was definitely something... Really, Five minutes of lateral raises sounds like complete. It's miserable. Well, no, while you're holding a lunge or doing doing lunges and stuff like that, they could just or lunging on and off the step. I'm not sure it was five minutes, but it was certainly more than twelve repetitions. Right. Yeah. And so, so then then we went to just trying to think. Like from there, I think I just kept the main step was my thing, and mm -hmm. I had quite a following. And high low, high low was also a thing. So mix of high impact and low impact movements, lots of athletic stuff. Um, then there would be like a conditioning at the end. So we do like push-ups and sit-ups and um, clam and stuff like that. Like maybe some, you know, on all fours, bird dog, stuff like that. You just, yep. yeah. So, I mean, those were all integrated in and um, we actually, you know, we had lots of really good speakers. Stuart McGill came to talk to us about back health and uh, we had, we had some really, really good people. Lauren Goldenberg came to talk about athletic conditioning. Um, I don't know that these are certainly names from the past, but Stuart well, I mean, still Stuart, Stuart's still, still quite mainstream, still very, very highly yeah. reputable. And uh, yeah. I'm not sure what Lauren is doing these days. Canadians would know Lauren. Canadians would would know Lauren. I don't think that many Americans would know who he is. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just interesting to see that, you know, the fads coming up. And I want to switch gears because I think this is, uh, you know, when we talk about fads uh, in fitness, I think we have to talk about fads in nutrition. Oh, God. <laughs> and that was the answer I was expecting to get because you've seen it all. And it's now come, oh. it's come. I've tried most of it, too. 
Oh, same for sure. Uh, it was probably started off as low calorie. Then it was low fat. Then it was low carb. Then the high protein craze. Then it was keto. Then from keto, it went back to high protein, low calorie. Uh, then it came like Atkins. Then if it fits your macros, uh, am I missing anything here? What's the Atkins one again? Oh, there's the grapefruit diet too. The soup diet. The you're just going by by um, macronutrients. Like named diets, yeah. yeah. Um, beach body, beach um, the beach diet. Whole thirty South Beach diet. South, South beach. beach. I remember. I remember you doing so. I did it for eleven days. I lost twelve pounds. It was unbelievable. I wanted to eat the person beside me. It was terrible. And now. Keeping in mind that you started your fitness journey as more of a weight loss process. Right. I'm curious to hear kind of how your, especially with your education in nutrition, how your how your nutrition has kind of evolved over the years. I I was initiated into uh nutrition. Um I'm not, this doesn't, I'm not slamming my mother because she, she only knew what she knew, but there was always a very small spiral notebook beside the coffee maker with a little pencil, the golf pencils mm -hmm. that people record their score. And she would write down everything she ate with the calories. So I knew an apple had 80 calories from the time I was probably 12. Um, so it was watching that and she would, um, then she got into like way later, she got into Weight Watchers, but my first, that was what nutrition was. And I asked her, uh, somebody made a comment at school, um, when I was 16 or 17, and I was very overweight at that time about me and how fat I was. And I asked my mom for help. And so she suggested that I trim out any extras so cookies and breads and things like that. So she she helped me along the way with little things. And being the overachiever at I, that, that I am, I saw some difference over the first few months. And I thought, well, if this is working, more is obviously better. So then I would not eat all day. Um, at lunch, I would have an apple or a grapefruit. And then I'd run around the block, which was eight kilometers. Mm -hmm and have dinner, what everybody else was eating. So that was my, I did that for quite a while. That's a named um, diet. It's called OMAD, one meal a day. Oh, well, it was how sick can you possibly make somebody? Right. Um, yeah, I was a bone rack and, but boy, did I get attention. Um. Anyway, so that I means it's funny, a bone rack for me, a bone rack, I was 128 pounds and I was skin and bones. I was, it was, I was emaciated. You could mm -hmm. hang things off my hip bones. So it's, it wasn't a good look for me. It wasn't. And I, and I thought, oh my God, this is fantastic. Cause everybody's commenting. Right. So it teaches you that you are only valued if you're skinny. Right. That's so one hell of a way to get validation. Well, but that's, that's the way it was when you have, when media is, is always on you you need to look a certain way and you aren't physically made that way it's difficult my body was made to be strong I don't know many 60 year old people that can still do as many push-ups in a row as I can like how many push-ups did you do last year just tell everyone I can't remember but it was it was 
between 30 and 75 every single day. So it was, it was thousands and thousands and thousands. I walked 4.2 million steps um, in the, in the year. So mm-hmm. it was, I had, I don't go to bed unless I have my 10,000 steps usually. Although I lie yesterday, I had under 5,000, but the day before I had 23,000. So I think it, I think it equals out. Yeah. Sometimes I was a little fatigued. I'm learning um, to give myself permission to rest too. So getting back to the nutrition, when I went to university, I that was on a meal plan, but I don't, I'm not the kind of person that loves a lot of fancy foods. Right. And my my favorite thing is rice cakes and peanut butter, which is really you can hardly do a lot of damage with two rice cakes and some peanut butter. Like it's and and the food at, at university. Challenge accepted. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, um gravies and mushy stuff so they had a salad bar so that's what I survived on was the salad bar so by the time I got home for my sister's wedding I think my mom made our skirts and the waist on the skirt was 22 inches it was disgusting and I knew I wasn't well and I knew I wasn't happy but I didn't know how to fix it mm-hmm. so when I came home that summer um, my mom had not an intervention but she just said you know you need, you need to take care of yourself because I was tired and I was still running too much. But in university, I discovered aerobics. It was so much fun. Like it was the bomb. And that was my salvation. I wasn't doing it to be skinny anymore. It was mentally, it was keeping me there because I hated every minute of my first year. So when I came home, I actually went to Ottawa U. Went to University of Toronto my first year, Ottawa U for the remainder Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned how to eat more healthy that summer. I, I think it was imagine, I can imagine that conversation with grandma too, because she has such a very kind way of just pointing you in the right direction. Yeah. And I think also too, I, I have food allergies and I didn't know what they were at that time. And I mm-hmm. think every time I tried to eat something at away at university, because I was stressed the food didn't agree with me, I would get sick. So it was like, I don't know where to turn. I want to eat better, but but that's like a, but that's a perfect storm of for disordered eating behaviors because you're getting validation on the fact that you're skinny. Yeah. And when you actually try to eat, you get sick. Yeah. It's like, well, people like me when I'm skinny and when I try to eat, I get sick. So I'm just not going to eat. Yeah. It was easier that way because there was no decisions to make. What do I eat? Well, nothing. It's easy, you know? Well, one thing that uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine about, he was on the podcast recently, his name is Jeb. Um, and he was like, our behaviors serve us. And that's why that we keep adhering to them. Yeah. So the things that are are leading us towards these pathways of dysfunction or ill health, at some point, those behaviors served us. And it's almost like you came to a point where these behaviors aren't serving me anymore. And I need right. to find new ones that serve me now. And when I look at even, you know, like I've been your nutrition coach at one point, Olivia has been your nutrition coach at one point, the, the common thread for your success in nutrition is finding something that you can enjoy and that you yeah. can be adherent with. So having you focus on eating more protein, that's something you enjoy eating protein. So it's oh, not, but that was game changing for me. Yeah. So, so that was something that you were able to adhere to and that fit with your, your taste, your preferences going towards uh, a low carb approach, which you've done in the past. I know 
just didn't work with you. Your activity level is too high. Immediately you got fatigued, mood swings, cravings like crazy. Yeah. Not going to be, not going to be sustainable because you don't eat high fats. So I actually eat more fat now than I ever have because, because of the higher protein, it's kind of interesting. And it, it's, it's actually serving me very well. The last few years have been quite enjoyable. Right. So when we, and then, you know, with regards to the carbohydrates, it's, you have an active lifestyle, so you're going to have to eat carbohydrates. Oh yeah. And you found a way to, when we look at your body weight over the last three to five years, even, even more so further than that, you've been at maintenance for quite a long time with yeah, the same yeah. three to five pounds. Yeah, you're right. I did, Well, I actually, during COVID got a little bit too thin for my, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. But that was stress. I mean, that was completely stress and uh, everybody reacts differently to being holed up in their house. Right. So well, I remember when I moved home, you hadn't seen another human being in 12 days. Yeah. I was insane. It was not good. Yeah. I remember going out and just walking and walking and walking in the neighborhood. I probably walked seven or eight hours a day because I was looking for other people. It's It was not good. Um, but much happier now that uh, the world has returned to somewhat normal. Right. And so what would you describe as like your week of fitness right now? Like, what does that look like for you? Um, Monday is, is always squat day at the gym. That's sort of the focus on that training day, you mm -hmm. know, the format of the classes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and depending on what I've done on Sunday, if I'm, if I still have energy, I'll go for a walk in the afternoon. Um, if I don't, then I don't go for a walk in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, I run, uh, Wednesday, I do the bench class and I'll walk in the afternoon or cycle. Uh, Thursday I run mm -hmm. Friday it's deadlift day. And so I do that and then walk in the afternoon or run or do, do something that gets my steps mm -hmm. Saturday. Um, last this past Saturday, I ran because I knew Sunday we were going on a bike ride. So right. I did my run on Saturday. I try and get three runs in a week. I'm working on trying to decide what my next step is for that, uh, for running next goal. Um, and Sunday we rode our bikes from upper Canada village to Iroquois and back. It was really nice. Oh. Wow. So a lot of variables, a lot of, like a lot of different things that you're doing during the week and you're having fun. What does, yeah. uh, what does your nutrition look like now for the most it's part? Pretty much the same every day. Um, uh, two breakfasts, I shouldn't say two breakfasts. I have something small before I work out, like half a protein bar or rice cake and peanut butter. Um, when I was trying to adhere to, um, more what's the single ingredient food, like the rice and the eggs and vegetables all mashed together. I love that, but I can't eat that before I work out. It just repeats. No. And repeats. Yeah. Um, so I do the, this morning was half a protein bar, went for my run, um, because I had this, I didn't do what I usually do. Sometimes I'll do oatmeal with protein powder um, or protein shake with the um, uh, daily cleanse and half a banana or uh, what else do I do? Eggs. I like eggs on rice cakes. And sometimes I put butter or sometimes I put mayo and it's so good. Nice. Yeah. Um, lunch I bring. So 130, 150 grams of whatever protein, sometimes more. If I slop it in the, the Tupperware and it's over, I don't give a shit. I just, I eat it. 
um, 130 grams of carbs. Yesterday I had 150 because that's what fell in. I'm not super strict, but I do try and get that 130 grams of protein, which is a challenge every day. I love that you said, if it's a little bit over, I don't give a shit. And to well, me, yeah, I used, that used to drive me nuts. Like it would always have to be exactly and under. And now I'm like, eh. Well, it's because, you know, like we can talk about the inaccuracies of nutrition labels. We can talk about the inaccuracies of different methods of cooking. Like if you cook your chicken five minutes longer one day than the previous day, it's going to weigh less. So it's going to yeah. have higher protein per gram, higher calorie per gram. So when people say, oh, I measure all my stuff to the gram, I'm like, do you cook it to the minute? Do you measure exactly how many milliliters of, of water you put in your rice? Do you weigh your rice pre and post cooking? Do you weigh your vegetables pre and post cooking? Do you track your vegetables? Do you track that one apple is bigger than the other apple? It all comes out in the wash. Right. I don't track, I don't track any vegetables. I eat them all and I eat a lot of vegetables. It's actually uh, um, surprising the amount of vegetables I eat. I hate fruit, but I had an apple yesterday and a half a banana in the same day. Um, wow. there, will, there could be months that I go and I don't have a piece of fruit. Um, I'm really trying though. Macintosh apples are in season. I do like those. Well, it's funny you say fruits and vegetables because I've recently been trying to take a more proactive approach with some of my nutrition clients and get them to eat more fruits and vegetables. So while I don't ask them to track the calories in their fruits and vegetables, well, in fruits, yes, vegetables, no. Uh, I've asked them to weigh their fruits and vegetables and try to get 800 grams of fruit and vegetables per day. Oh, I totally get that. Oh, me, me as well. Um, the number of people who cringe when I say that is hilarious. Yeah. I, your brother is one of them because yesterday I had this Ziploc bag full of carrots. I know carrots have sugar, but I've never seen a fat rabbit. So let's, let's, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be the title of our podcast. I've okay. <laughs> I know, you know carrots have sugar, know but I've never seen a fat rabbit. Yeah. Um, anyway. So I bring more vegetables in my Ziploc because he never eats vegetables and I make him eat the vegetables that I've, I'm, I don't need to eat that many. And so I give him some of mine. So I always have a bag of something. That's so funny. I should have Alex in the podcast. Yeah, you should. I think, I think that'd be hilarious. Um, all right. We're nearing the end of our time. I know you have a very busy day today and I want to be mindful of it. Um, I have a few quick hit questions for you. All right. Number one, what is one album that you can listen to on a repeat with no skips? The Best of Bread. The Best of Bread? Yes. Is that a Google. band? Yes. Bread is yeah. the name of the band? Yes. All right. Okay. I will Google it later. Okay. Something more. Okay. That would be the, an old one. Fleetwood Mac rumors. Okay. You know, Fleetwood Mac. I know. Wow, you're Mac. really young. I know. Really young. Really. Young. Um, do you crack your egg on a flat surface or on the corner of the pan? Oh, not on the corner of the pan. It makes a mess on a flat surface and you don't crack it, crack it. Cause it's messy. Use your fingernails to open it. Susan is the type of woman who will clean her house after her cleaning lady has been there. No, um, I don't. <laughs> five dinner guests dead or alive. You plus five. Who are they? My mom's mom, Pauline. Hilarious. Okay. My mom. Okay. 
my dad. Okay. Five dinner guests. I'm just trying to think of eclectic mix to make it fun. Do I, do I count myself and Mike? That's five no. or just the five guests? Five guests. I'd like Arnold Schwarzenegger at my dinner table. He okay. is funny. I watched his um, his uh, movie or like there's a three the series documentary. On. Yep. Yeah. Pretty insightful. I was. He's done a lot of a lot of really interesting things with his life. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Taylor Swift. Let's let's round out. I watched her documentary recently, and she's really neat. I have not I have not watched that, but I will take your word for it. Yeah, it's very cool. It's really really cool. She needs to grow up a little, but it's good. You should tell her that. No, I think she's doing it on her own. She's had a hell of a life, and she's one of the hardest working people. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, Taylor Swift, if you ever listen to this, Susan, big fan. Well, I don't really know all her music, but I thought I'll listen to this because everybody's calling themselves Swifties because mm-hmm. um, I'm more of a country music fan. So, I mean, she's more on the rock pop country ish. Okay. I'd say she's not mainstream country. Anyway, it was a very good documentary. So if people would like to get a hold of you for their real estate needs, where can they find you? S Oneed at royalapage.ca. Perfect. And your website? Oneed, oneedteam.ca. So that's O-N-E-I-D-T-E-A-M.ca. Yeah. Mom, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me today. I know you were a little bit hesitant about being on a podcast. Um, yes, first for me. It's exactly. But I think your story is one that absolutely needs to be told because you in fitness and in nutrition and everything that we you know, work with our clients on, you've seen it over the years, you've been in it over 40 years, you've been an active participant in fitness for a lifetime. And I think that people need to hear that it is possible despite the obstacles that they might be facing, or despite the information that may be put in their face, that if you find something that you enjoy, and you're able to stick to it for a really long time, yeah, your life of fitness can be one that adds to the rest of your life. Absolutely. Enjoying every single day to the fullest. Love it. Thank you so much, mom. I love you. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to see more of this type of content, let me know.